You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Tonight is our final uh, service for this uh, series. We're in the, the God in Hollywood series. And last week in the AM services, I preached a message from uh, my probably one of my most favorite films of all time. And this movie touched my life. It's changed me. It kind of really made me who I am today. And uh, that, that film, of course, as many of you are laughing, you already know what I'm talking about, uh, is Dumb and Dumber. And it, was, uh, it, it, it shaped my life. And it's, it's, it's a very funny movie. I don't endorse every single scene of it, but I do endorse some of it. And uh, it was a lot of fun. But uh, tonight, I, uh, from popular demand, back basically from my wife, I'm actually going to preach a part two of this message. I'm not going to preach the same message over again. But I do understand that some of you were possibly not here last Sunday morning. So I kind of going to recap just a little bit about what the message was about. That way we can all be on the same page and people aren't like ahead of you and whatever. You can also get the C3 app and you can listen, just in case you don't know this. Some people don't know the app exists. Kyle is into the app. He's got the app. Every now and then he deletes the app and re-downloads it. That's how much he loves the C3 app. So I would say get the app and you can listen, you can keep up with all of our great sermons we have from all the campuses. But um, we talked uh, last week um, just about the fact that, that wisdom is somewhat underrated in our society. And we talked, yeah, some people are like nudging their partner right now. Like, yeah, you're not wise at all. <laughs> okay, it'll be an interesting drive home. Uh, we, we talked about that. We talked about how God's sovereignty and our responsibility are two things that coexist at all times. And that uh, if, if, if there is part of our life, it's our responsibility. In fact, a lot of it is our responsibility. We talked about hey, wouldn't it be a smart idea if we could just maybe get as, as wise as we can because we know that, that where we end up in life is, is dependent heavily on us making the right choices and we're not gonna make the right choices without the right wisdom. Someone say amen. So we talked about that. We just talked about how, how you and I can, can learn lessons from not just the successful parts of our life, but in fact, we can actually learn a lot of great lessons from the dumb things in our life. Anybody ever do anything? Don't put your hand up. Anybody ever do, do anything dumb in their life? I know I certainly have. And I would like to hope that I learn from the dumb things in my life. And I think that you and I would agree this Bible is packed of incredible, amazing people, but uh, some of them did dumb things. There's lots of dumb things that have happened in the history of the world and, and God still uses people who've done dumb. Isn't that nice to know that God can still use some, some people who have done some dumb things and there, there are some stories in the Bible with some dumb things in them that we, we can learn from. And so last week we talked about the story of Esau and him selling his birthright for a cup of stew. It was, it's a crazy story. I, I would encourage you to read that story in your own personal time this week and, and relive it. It, it it's, it's a crazy story. Story because I think, and I think we underestimate the power of, the, of that story because what happens with Esau is he sells himself so short. And I think that if we're not careful in life, we can sell ourselves so short on what God has for us in every area of our world. So that's one thing we talked about. Then we talked about Lot's wife and how Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah, the city that she'd left. And the Bible says that we're called to be salt and light, but that doesn't mean literally becoming salt. She became salt because she looked back at her past and the less, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It wouldn't be funny if you turned to salt, would it? No, <laughs> or, your, or your wife did. But anyway, uh, let's keep moving. But, but, but we, we talked about how, how, how if we're not careful in life, we can, we can look back 
and how we can, we can end up walking into parked cars and poles and all kinds of things if we're busy looking behind ourselves all the time. But no, God's called us to look forward, to face forward and to move forward. And we talked about, uh, the next story we talked about was David and Bathsheba and how David was supposed to be off at war, but he stayed back and he kind of got a little bit bored with nothing to do. He's hanging on his rooftop. And some of you are aware of the story. He's hanging on his rooftop and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. That's kind of creepy. That's kind of weird. It's probably illegal. But he, was, uh, he, he ended up uh, in a bad spot in his world because he uh, was bored. He had nothing to do. He'd lost, his, he'd lost his purpose for a moment. And so we learned the lesson that you and I need to stay on purpose, stay on mission in life, that we don't get distracted by the things in our world. And then we, we rounded home plate and talked about the prodigal son, one of my favourite stories and how he made a lot of dumb choices. The prodigal son made so many dumb choices, he ended up in a rock bottom spot in his world. But how many people are glad that when the prodigal son came home, his father accepted him back in, put a robe on him, and that's a good ending. Spoiler alert. So I'm going to preach part two of this message tonight. Let's pray and then we'll get this party started. God, thank you for everybody here tonight. I think I'm going to preach well. We're going to have some fun in church and we'll be out of here in no time at all. And everyone said, Amen. 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 So a couple of stories tonight to go through before we uh, wrap up this series. And the first story that I want to talk about tonight is one that I haven't really talked about much before, but it is, it's a cool story. And it's uh, the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel. And uh, you can find the story in Genesis 11. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. And just to bring you up to speed, the flood has happened. Here we are a few generations later, and God has commanded people to multiply and spread and fill the earth once again. So that's a bit of context, just in case you've never heard this story before. Genesis 11, verse 1. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. Some would argue that it was Japanese. Some would argue it was Spanish. Some would say it was Australian. It's in the, no, it's not. I just made that up. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia. They settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. Then they said, all right, check this out. Verse four, come, let's, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. Isn't that interesting? Let us build a great city for ourselves. Let's keep in mind too that, that this is actually not too long after Noah built the ark. And as a side note, it's probably a message all in itself, but Noah built something called the ark with the help of God to save humanity. Yet here we are, not too long after that. You'd think that humanity would have learned a lesson about going their own way, but no. Here we are just a few generations later and they're saying, let us build a great city for ourselves. Why wouldn't they want the help of God? Why wouldn't, if you're gonna do something massive, why wouldn't you wanna include God in that picture? We find out why in the next passage of Scripture. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But we just talked about the fact that God had commanded them to multiply and to spread and to fill the earth. 
So we've kind of come to two conclusions from what has just been said, that, that, they're, that, that A, they're seeking out their own fame, and, and B, they're rebelling against what God told them to do. God didn't tell them to build their own big megastructure and stay together. He said them to go and, and, and spread and go and fill the earth. Isn't it awesome? Like, I love the fact that, that, that we are in a church that is in multiple locations all around San Diego. And, and look, I'm not against like a mega church thought or anything like that, but, but I'm, one thing I'm noticing and one thing that, that many people will tell you is that what the people of, of at least our country are wanting more than ever is not so much one big mega church, but lots of smaller churches. And I love that, that we're not just one big, great big church, that we are one church in all four, soon to be five locations in San Diego alone that we're not here to build some big mega structure. I love the fact that we're gonna have 16 campuses all over this city because God didn't call us just to have one big mega space, but to spread and go all over. Isn't that cool? So anyway, verse five. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and the people were building. He said, look, the people are united. They all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages then they won't be able to understand each other. So God's in heaven talking to His angels, talking about the situation that He finds Himself in. These humans, they're trying to, to build a, a big structure for themselves. They're trying, to, they're trying to chase fame. They're not scattering and filling the earth like I wanted them to. What should we do, angels? One of the angels says, well, we should probably just flood the earth again. And God's like, I promised I wouldn't. Another angel suggests burning them and God's like, that's a bit harsh, like just chill. So God's like, yeah, I'm feeling like I'm in a bit of a fun mood today. Why don't we just give them all different languages? Wouldn't that be a, a funny? I mean, I, when I get to heaven, there's certain videos I wanna watch. <laughs> like my wedding day and children coming in and all that cool stuff. Like there's this, but one thing I wanna sit down with God and watch is this moment. Could you imagine how, how awesome it would be to being there and watch this happen. All the, imagine if all of a sudden we just, all the, the couple hundred people in this room right now all just started speaking in different languages. We couldn't understand. Could you imagine even just, even just three people, one, one speaking Japanese, one speaking Spanish, and one speaking Australian. Could you imagine the comedy, the comedy of that moment? Konnichiwa. Yeah, g'day, mate. Can't understand ya. No idea what you're talking about, mate. I just think God's got a great sense of humour. <laughs> Verse eight. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city is called Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, He scattered them all over the world. So people had a different time scattering themselves over the earth, so God did it for them. Let's go back to verse four. This is, this is probably what I wanna talk most about tonight in this story. And this is probably one of the sadder verses of the Bible. So let's read verse four again. They said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky. This will make us famous and keep us being scattered all over the world. They wanted to make a, a name for themselves. And it just seems to me that humanity is, is so obsessed and so distracted by this exact same problem even today the idea of, of making a name for yourself. But why? Like where, where does this come from? Where does this need come from in people? I, I would suggest that it comes from a place 
When people don't know who they are in Jesus Christ, they, they don't know who they are in Him, they haven't found their identity in, in who God says that they are and, and what the Bible says about them. When you and I don't find our identity in Christ, well, of course we're gonna have to look for it somewhere else, aren't we? Because it's human nature to wanna find our identity in something. And of course, without Christ, of course we're gonna try and, and, and look for it somewhere else. And I know for me that the, the more broken I am internally, the more I will seek recognition from man rather than understanding my position under God. The more broken I am internally, the more I will seek the recognition of man than understanding my position as a son of God. That's gonna help somebody get set free tonight. And you, you would think that this would not be a problem in the church. After all, we're all Christians, right? Walking with God. Yeah, I still find that it, 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 it's a problem in every single human being. When will I be, be recognised? When will, when will I be known? When, 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 will, when will I be famous? The heart cry of so many broken people. So they say, let us build a great city to make ourselves famous. What is this obsession with fame? What is this? You know, the older I get, the less concerned I am about becoming famous. Maybe like a younger version of me would have cared a lot more about being famous, but the older I get, the more I just don't care. I just want my kids to think I'm awesome. If my kids think I'm awesome and my wife thinks I'm awesome, I'm pretty happy with that. When I was a teen, fame, fame was a whole different game before social media. Before social media, to be famous, you were pretty much just either a movie star or you were a star athlete uh, or you were like a famous musician. Like there wasn't that many famous people in the world. But, but that game has totally changed. It, it's totally different these days. Because of social media, because of YouTube, the playing field is, is literally anyone can be famous. The, it used to be that Los Angeles was the city of, of broken dreams of people chasing fame. But now you can go to Chula Vista and you can find young people who are heartbroken for not being famous. You can go to all, like, like, like South Dakota. Like I don't even know where that is. I'm sure you can go to South Dakota and go into the suburbs of some random town and find a teenager heartbroken because they've only got 10,000 followers on Instagram, but their best friend's got 11,000. And that's a tragic truth, but it's the truth. Social media is programming a lot of people to chase fame, to chase the exact same thing that we're seeing here in the story, the Tower of Babel. And I, I am concerned about this because I'm concerned about what this means for our kids, what this means for our youth, what this means for my children. I'm really thankful that I was born in 1985 and not 1995. When I was 13, I was busy playing PlayStation. PlayStation's phenomenal, you guys. PlayStation 1, the graphics weren't as good, but the games were unreal. I was busy playing this crazy game that kids don't play anymore. It's called Going Outside. I used to ride a bike. I used to attempt to ride a skateboard. I could never really get the skateboard thing. I tried so hard, fell so many times. But, but, but the world was a different place. Like, I, I never laid in bed at night as a 13-year-old worried about how many followers I had. I never, I never, I never like couldn't sleep because I hadn't got as many likes as I, as I needed to feel like I 
I, my, my selfie didn't, didn't like get me that hit mentally that I thought it was gonna get me. I'm so thankful I didn't have to grow up in that. I'm so thankful that I was just laying in bed at night thinking how cool was that jump I did on my bike? Six to eight inches of air. The people went wild. Because tr- truth was, I wasn't even that cool when I was 13. None of us were. Like, no one's cool when they're 13. Like, you, th- you think you are, you're not cool. <laughs> like, most 13-year-olds, their voice sounds like this. And that's really bad if you're a woman. <laughs> but, but my voice was breaking. I was not athletic. I was like the last kid to be picked on the sports team. And I'm cool with it. Don't feel bad for me. I'm fine. Uh, like, I'm totally Okay. But like I was not that, I was like not, not athletic and I, my voice was breaking. My head was shaped like a mushroom and <laughs> because of my haircut. And it's like they just got a bowl and they cut her. Anyway, like I wasn't that cool. So I'm just so glad I did not grow up in this era. Thank God I missed this era. So anyway, these guys, they're, they're, they're building an empire for themselves. What a message that is for people in our time and in our culture. In, in Western culture, what a message that is for you and I. Because we're constantly told, aren't we, just to, to worry about number one, worry about yourself. Build, build, build a massive empire for yourself. Just take care of yourself. If I, if I jump on Instagram tonight when I go home, I can guarantee you before, before much time goes by, scrolling along and after I've seen a couple of you know, uh, posts of lattes and people's cats, I'm sure that, that within, within five minutes, I, I'll see all the posts of, you know, crush it, crush it in your life, be the best. And there's nothing wrong with being the best. There's nothing wrong with crushing it. And, and, and I'll see another one. Oh, 10x. But now 10x is not enough. So it's 50x. It's 100x, a million x your life. And I'll keep scrolling. I'll see someone standing in front of a mansion. It's not even their mansion. And there's a Lamborghini. It's not even their Lamborghini, but they're, they're, they're saying a message of, man, build your empire. You can be like me. Sign up for my e-course and you too can borrow someone else's Lamborghini and stand behind a stranger's house. We're constantly fed this idea. We're constantly fed this idea that, that we are to build an empire for ourselves. It is a constant and believe me, I'm not against. I'm a motivated person. I've probably always worked more hours than I should. I am all about crushing your goals. Get abs. Whatever. I'm into that stuff. I'm not against any of those things. But I, I also understand that you know, I want to build a great legacy for my children. And I want to build the kingdom of God. And I understand that there's a fine line and a big difference between building a legacy for my children and building the kingdom of God out of being a healthy human being with the right motivations versus building an empire for myself out of insecurity, brokenness, drive. And if we can learn anything from a Tower of Babel, it's that I don't want us to fall into that category because it's never gonna work out well for you and I. It never does, because even when you achieve that thing that you think will make you whole, even when you get the millionth follower on Instagram, there's still gonna be somebody else with 1.1 million followers. You're never gonna arrive. Insecurity is an itch that will never be satisfied, because you'll always find somebody else to compare to. 
I think when I look at the story of the Tower of Babel, I have to ask myself the question, what is their motivation? And I ask myself the question in everything I'm doing in my life, what is my motivation? Why am I motivated for this thing? Am I motivated out of, out of pride? Am I motivated out of insecurity? Because both those things are terrible motivators. And I would like to hope that you and I could learn a lesson from these people trying to build something without God to glorify themselves. I think I want to be someone who builds something with God to glorify Him. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back at the empire I created for myself with a Lamborghini and a big house behind me thing, feeling like I've arrived and crushed all my goals, and that's great. I'm telling you, I want to get to the end of my life knowing that I've left a legacy for my children. I've built the kingdom of God. I've lived a full life, and I didn't build something just to glorify myself and to make myself famous. Someone say amen. 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 All right, hold that thought. Let's look at the story of Adam and Eve. We're very familiar with this story. I'm sure you're familiar with it. If you went to kids' church at any point in your life, this is a popular one, which is kind of, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's probably um, an easy one to tell the kids. Does not produce, it didn't produce in me the need, like I, I didn't eat apples growing up and I kind of wondered why. And I think it's because hearing this story as a child, it wounded me. Um, so let's, let's look to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Okay, the story of Adam and Eve. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree, any of the trees in the garden? So this is in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 2, in fact, just a side note here, um, the serpent tells Adam, before Eve comes on the scene, not to do this. So we can probably, before we get all upset and, uh, with Eve, it, it could be a little bit of a communication breakdown between Adam and Eve. Eve. Eve may have not got the message clearly from her husband. I blame him. So verse 2, Eve says here, Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you'll die. It's interesting to me that God put the tree that they shouldn't eat from in the middle of the garden. Like the protective parent in me thinks, come on, God, why wouldn't you just make it a little ugly tree and hide it in the corner? Maybe we could have dodged this whole incident. Maybe we could have avoided this whole thing. But God makes it a very appealing tree, puts it right in the middle of the garden. Because sin doesn't hide in the corner. Sin is quite obvious. And as much as I want to protect my kids from the big bad world, sooner or later they are going to have to choose yes or no to that tree. That's, just, that's another message for another time. Verse 4, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. That was very quick. That was an easy sale. <laughs> this is an interesting insight on Eve's personality. She was an impulse buyer. Any salesperson would love to get Eve as a potential customer. Eve was the kind of person that would buy 
stuff off her TV. Late at night when she should be sleeping, she's spending Adam's money on stuff she doesn't need. If you went to Eve's house, you would discover she has it all. The ladder that can do 50 different things. How often do you use that ladder? Not, not never, never is the answer. She has the thigh blaster. She has the shake weight. She even has the Snuggie, which is a phenomenal product, I might add. She has the steak knives that are so strong they can cut through a shoe. Thank God somebody invented that. How often do you get in the bind? Oh, my shoe, I need to cut my shoes off. Flip, there's only a knife that could do this. She has the vacuum that can pick up the bowling ball, which makes complete sense. Why use the three holes for your fingers to move the bowling ball from point A to point B when I can go get the vacuum out of the closet, bring it on down, roll it on down, plug it into the wall, turn it on high, pick up the bowling ball, move it over to here, put it down. Eve has that, even though bowling has not yet even been invented nor carpet. She has the vacuum cleaner that can do that. She was an easy sale, very compulsive. The woman was convinced and she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Again, I still have a hard time with this, you guys. Like I don't, it's an apple, it's an apple tree. If it was like a Chick-fil-A sandwich tree, <laughs> a s'mores tree, that, then I'd be tempted. She wanted the wisdom it would give to her. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. This could have been completely avoided if Eve went to Cherish Conference. I'm just gonna say that. If she was just at Cherish, this could have been avoided. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So hang on a sec, hang on a minute. Didn't the serpent say that their eyes would be opened? It's true, he did. So he wasn't lying about that, was he? But it says here, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So their eyes were opened, but, but they didn't get the deal that the devil promised. Their eyes were open, but they didn't become like God. Their eyes were opened and they felt shame because sin always overpromises and underdelivers. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. I think this is kind of funny. Like, it's God. <laughs> it shows how Adam and Eve, not the, not the sharpest tools in the shed, that they're hiding from, God has x-ray vision. God's like terminating, you can see all that stuff. God is not gonna, and I can just imagine like Adam hears God walking. He's like, Eve, we're tired. <laughs> uh, it's God. He's gonna see you. He's gonna find you. It's God. So the Lord calls to the man, where are you? And he replies, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat from? This next verse is embarrassing. <laughs> The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who ate the fruit and I ate it. Yeah, way to not be responsible, Adam. This is gonna cause a lot of conflict. 
but for everybody else. <laughs> then the Lord God asked the woman, why were you not at Cherish Conference? No, I'm joking, you didn't say. <laughs> he said, what have you done? So Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the serpent. The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. So the root problem for why this whole thing happened was because Eve bought into the lie with her impulsive buying that, that what the serpent said would, would be true, that she would in fact become like God. Which, which begs the question, if we, if we go a little bit deeper tonight, dive in the deep end together, why would you wanna be like God? Could you imagine the responsibility of God? Like you get overwhelmed when you get like seven emails in the morning. Could you imagine waking up and being God? Like millions of prayer requests coming in every day. Like we're not the only people that pray in the world for the Book of Miracles. Like he, he has got a lot of stuff on his plate. It leads to this question, well, why would you wanna be like God? I think, that, I think the answer to that is, if, well, if we're like God, would we not need God? Which leads to the question, well, if I don't need God, then I don't have to trust God. So if it comes back to, well, if I get that apple, I won't need to trust God anymore. The cause of that, the root cause of that comes from, from fear, really, from control, from pride, from controlling of, well, I wanna control my life my way. I don't know if I can trust God. Meanwhile, God has said, hey, you can have, you can have every single tree in this whole garden, just, just don't, just leave that one tree alone. Can you and I just trust God that, that we've got all these other trees and just trust Him and know that that tree there, I just need to leave it, I'm not gonna know why, I'm just gonna leave that tree alone. You know, the devil tricks a lot of people through FOMO. Now I'm really, I'm quite relevant. Uh, what did you say before Maria? What is that word? I'm on trend, you guys. <laughs> FOMO means fear of missing out. That's right. FYI, FOMO. That's FYI, that you guys didn't get it. It means for your information. So I'm really, I'm really on trend. FOMO is something the young people say is fear of missing out. You know, the devil loves to give you and I FOMO. Oh, you're missing out. That's how he sold Eve on the tree. Didn't he? FOMO. Hey, Eve, you're gonna miss out. God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because He doesn't want you to be like Him. Which is why we often, as human beings, we often want what we don't have. We often want what we can't have. You can have everything you want, but leave that tree alone. It's like when your parents say to you, don't touch the fire. What's the thing you wanna do? Yeah, which is awkward if you're like above the age of nine. Should have figured it out by then, fire's not a good thing. But my parents would tell me not to touch the fire, that would make me, well, I didn't really want to, but now I do. <laughs> What's gonna happen if I touch the fire? <laughs> I mean, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, that worked out okay for them. <laughs> it's like when you see a sign that says, don't feed the birds. What do you wanna do? Like I don't set out my day to, to, to go and feed birds illegally. But when I see one of those signs, I find myself, gosh, I don't have anything. <laughs> Let me Uber eat something in. 
I'm Uber eating waffle fries. I'm breaking them up. I'm throwing them around. Seagulls are flocking around me. I'm like their, I'm like their biggest fan. I'm like, this is amazing. These seagulls are loving me. Don't feed the birds, you guys. Apparently it's bad. I don't mean to location drop, but recently when I was in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's this big sign. I just, I know it, you need to come next time we go to Israel. But I was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a big sign that says, please do not touch the trees. So what's everybody doing? Touching the trees. In fact, I was at the, um, another place I was in Israel uh, was the Mount of Beatitudes. And I actually got a sign that I took a photo of that I think Josiah might have back there, the picture of the Mount of Beatitudes, which said all the things you can't bring in. Yeah, this is the Mount of Beatitudes. And here are some things you're not allowed to bring in. Dogs, shorts, (laughs) lips, cocktails, forks, guns, and smoking. Now, I didn't have any of those things on me. But as soon as I saw that sign, I really wanted to walk in there with some shorts on, with a dog, carrying a gun, a cigarette. I think lips is actually no talking. And I wanted to talk while I drink a cocktail because that's just human nature. In fact, I saw one last thing I saw in Israel just while, we, while, while we're on the Israel thing. I saw this, this is the greatest thing. I saw this sign. Now, there's not stop engine down here. It's faded, so I'll help you understand it. This sign says no trumpets. <laughs> Never in my life have I ever felt the urge to, oh, I just want a trumpet right now. Gosh, if I had my time again. <laughs> At that point in time, the one thing I wanted to do above anything else in the city of Jerusalem was to find somebody with a trumpet, get their trumpet somehow, learn how to play it, probably from a YouTube DIY video. And I would have gone there and just (laughs) You can put that down now, it's distracting. Is it possible that we, we want what we don't have because we want to control? Is it possible that we want to control because we, we don't want to trust? We want to do life on our own terms. And when we cannot trust God that what He has is actually better, from the, better than what we have for us, of course we're gonna go, go ahead and, and take the apple which is why Christianity in itself is, is, is built on faith. It's not built on knowledge or, or acts of things that we do. It's built on faith. It, Christianity in its essence is built on, can I trust God? Can I trust Him? Can I trust Him with the 99% of trees that I can eat from? And can I trust Him for the one that He says not to? Can I trust Him and not fall to the temptations of the devil? who sells me a lie like FOMO, like you're missing out. I think there's something in each and every one of us that we we want to do life on on our own terms. So Adam and Eve ate the apple because they they just didn't know how to trust God. 
They wanted to take life into their own hands. They wanted to have control. So in, in, anyway, in both stories, in the Tower of Babel and in the story of, of Adam and Eve, both stories, pride was, was a key thing. The idea that, that we know better than God. And I think that pride is a battle that, that every single one of us faces in our lives. And this battle is so important. And it, maybe it's not talked about enough or maybe we underestimate how important this is because essentially your pride is, is doing life our own way while surrender is, is about doing life God's way. And we can't be prideful and surrendered at the same time. It's possible that the very thing, the very thing you need to overcome in your life tonight is, is pride, is the idea of, of, of control, of, of not trusting God with everything. You know, the devil does not come to you and I uh, to tempt us with an apple. He comes to you and I and, and tempts us to do a life that does not require trusting God. A life that's done on our own terms, a life that is designed and empowered by, by pride and not by surrender. The devil tempts you and I to go ahead and, and build our own empire, like the people in the Tower of Babel. Build your own life. Don't listen to what God says. Do life your own way. But my friend, God has such a bigger, greater plan for you and I than just doing life our own way. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com. 